Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome to the Purple Talk Podcast on NBC Sports California, brought to you by Wendy's. I am James Ham, and we got the band back together. We got the band back together. A little Doug Chris, let's see. Can we do this, Doug? Oh, uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, uh, there you go. What's up, dear hamster? Nice. Uh, so, Doug Chris, he is back. Um, I don't know, Doug. We just watched the bubble blow up. Um, yeah. uh, let's just start there. Let's, let's start there. Uh, eight games in the bubble. Um, I, I don't want to just throw it out to you as like, what are your thoughts on the bubble? But I think uh, like if you were to circle like two or three things that um, you didn't like from what you saw in the bubble, let's start there because I, I don't want to go okay. game by game. Uh, and yeah. I certainly don't want to get muddied up here. Uh, so let's start there. Well, I would start Ham with the with the defense. There was uh, a lack of it. There was a lot of points scored in the bubble all around. So, you know, I think that there are a lot of teams. Even like you look at the Portland Trailblazers, that they may be even worse than than the Kings on defense in in some shape, form, or fashion. But the the problem is we've seen them play defense. We've seen them do things. The inability to keep guys in front of you is straight line drives. Uh, sometimes not, you know, following what I would consider the wrong guys over picks and screens and different things, putting pressure on your big guy as opposed to if a guy can't shoot, similar to how they try to play De'Aaron Fox in a lot of ways. Um, that is probably my my biggest concern on, is, is the defense because ultimately for the Kings to take that next step, and this is something like this isn't something that Luke hasn't talked about or he hasn't addressed is this was a concern for him is defensively to be a sustainable winning team you have to have some culture of defense that uh, you don't have to have necessarily him incredible individual defenders because really they Mm -hmm. don't really exist in the nba anymore because of the rules and different things but you have to have high iq players on that end of the floor that can play team defense to understand angles they can at least keep their guy in front of them for the, the first move so they can allow help to get there and different things like that. So that would be number one. Number two would be the inability to consistently play good basketball on the offensive end of the floor. Uh, we saw 37 assists the other day. Uh, then we would see a great quarter against the Dallas Mavericks. And then we would see three of the worst quarters of basketball that we've seen from the Kings in quite some time. And I've pointed out many times on air, nine assists in this quarter, 37 points, 11 assists in this quarter, 40 points, uh, nine assists in this quarter, uh, 32 points. But then we go a quarter and have three assists and score 13 points. And the moving of ball, the ball and moving of bodies is a must on that end of the floor. Why? Well, because the Kings only have one person that can get their shot anytime that they want to be humanly possible. And that is De'Aaron Fox. Yep. That means that everyone else needs to help each other at a really, really high level. And the game of basketball, Ham, it does not start until I punch at you and you flinch. When that happens, game on. And many times the Kings will come and they'll have one pass possessions or zero pass possessions. The game of basketball truly never started. That's why it looks so difficult for the Kings to get shots off. So those would be my, my like, right off the top. And I think that those are fundamental basketball issues that can actually be addressed and they can be fixed. I think fundamental basketball. Okay, so I'm going to 
like I'm not going to give the Kings a pass because we just watched the Phoenix Suns go eight zero in the bubble. And to be honest with you, the Phoenix Suns were a bad team. They were a bad team the entire season. The fact that they were able to go eight zero in the bubble, I think, is the strangest anomaly. I mean, surely uh, we can point to Devin Booker like coming, like sort of his coming out party. Uh, and DeAndre Ayton actually played really well. Uh, they had some moments, but I mean, they did that without Kelly Oubre. So people won't say, yeah, "Oh, Mikhail well, Bridges really stepped up." Yeah, yeah. And if you want to look at the Kings, say, "Oh, they they didn't have Marvin Bagley." Well, they didn't have Marvin Bagley all season, so uh, I'm not going to point to that at all. Um, the defensive stuff to me um, was was horrific. Um, and Doug, the thing that killed me was the lack of attention to detail. The uh, players coming in. And the first moment they're on the floor, uh, just getting burnt and, and looking like they weren't ready or had no idea. I even watched it in game eight yesterday. Uh, Buddy Heald came in, him and, and Corey Joseph were backing up on a, on a transition from the Lakers. And Corey Joseph picked up a guy and Buddy Heald just stood behind him. And like he was going to pick up that guy too and just got in the way, number one, but left someone else wide open, and they scorched them. And you see Buddy and, and Corey Joseph having a conversation afterwards, and they're like the inexcusable mistakes, especially eight games in, like it was again and again and again. So I think that they have some, some major issues that have to be go, gone over. I also think it's, it's a little bit like Major League Baseball when you get to spring training, you get to the first two, three weeks of the season – where pitching is always ahead of hitting. And then finally the hitters catch up and then all of a sudden the, the pitchers can't do anything about the, the, like the watershed moment. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think the Kings played a little bit better in the, in the last three games. Um, I think they got their spirit broke in the first game and uh, they came out with so much, you know, uh, talk and they, they were ready. And then, um, and then, like what you talked about, they played bad basketball for four minutes at the end of a game against the San Antonio Spurs and lost. And I think it just set them off on, on a bad path uh, that they, they couldn't, uh, they couldn't correct. They don't have at this point, Doug, they don't have an auto correct. You know what I mean? There mm-hmm, isn't mm-hmm. like something isn't catching and saying, Oh, wait, wait, you got this little squiggly line here. Please fix this. Uh, they don't have that in their heads yet. And that's a problem. Um, because this isn't a super young basketball team. It's an inexperienced basketball team, but it's not a super young basketball team. So those were kind of my things that, that stood out. I mean, just you know, individually. Ham, go ahead. Yeah, when, when you say um, autocorrect, um, it, it's, it's kind of a code word for high-level communication among players because yeah. the autocorrect in many times was timeout, let me, Luke, set up a play. You guys run the play, and – that is that that's good that shows that you're coachable but there has to be like when you talk about the buddy Hield and Corey joseph moment whoever they're both talking but it's like um it's like a pop fly going up and yep. the second baseman is going back and as he's going back the center fielder is coming in and the center fielder calls them off because why the center fielder sees everything i got it i got it i got it and that is, that's why I say, Ham, fundamental, because that is very fundamental that we communicate. And the higher level our communication, the better we are. Yeah. And, but, but there has to be communication. It, yeah. it might be low level communication, but the key is that there has to be communication. And that too many times uh, happened. I didn't mean to cut you off, sorry. No, no. And, I, and to, to your point, I think that the Kings need more center fielders. I mean, we, uh, the, the baseball analogy is perfect in this situation because mm-hmm. I think we understand if you've played baseball, you know that the outfielder always has the right away. Like once mm-hmm. they call it and they call it loudly, it's their ball. You need to get out of the way. Yeah. Um, you need it's to, like a, need... it's like a back cut ham. Yeah. Once you show back cut, you got to go. Yeah. You don't yeah, yeah. stop. The ball will so. get thrown out of bounds every time. So I think what this team really does need is, is those moments where they become teaching moments, but also for them to actually learn from those teaching moments and say, okay, like, look, Corey Joseph is clearly in that situation. Like you cannot keep doing this. And Mm -hmm. buddy's like, you know, talking back and they're having a dialogue about it. 
But at, at a certain point, the guy who's really good at defense or at least has proven to be strong on the defensive end throughout his career probably right. is the guy who has to take control in that situation and just demand that someone does something different. Um, but I think we saw that time and time again during this, this uh, eight-game stretch. Now, the other thing, Doug, that I would point out is the Kings don't have an ability to make an adjustment. And I think that is the thing that stood out to me um, during you mean, the regular you mean, season. Uh, you, mean, you mean period or on the fly? On the fly and on the offensive end. Um, okay. I think that what I've seen from this team is that they have really suspect first quarters because they come out without – like they aren't ready sometimes. They catch up and are fine and go into halftime with either lead or really close. Uh, then they come out in the third quarter, uh, their opponent makes an adjustment and then it's like they hit a brick wall and they don't understand how to adjust to the adjustment. And so, you know, Luke Walton only has so many timeouts to call so many plays at certain point, these players have to figure out how to, again, self-correct, move forward, make adjustments, adjust to whether it's a, a zone defense or, the way that they're trapping or the way that they're defending a pick and roll, whatever it is, because what we can't have every third quarter is it look like someone just, you know, literally dropped an anvil on top of the, the King's heads and they're dazed. You, you know, you mentioned the first game and in the first game versus the San Antonio Spurs, the game that wasn't necessarily in hand, but the Kings were, they, they're a better team that they did not play. They yeah. did not perform. Yeah. But, but they are. And in the first quarter, there was a 19-0 run. And, like, those are the type of things that it doesn't take the coach to call a timeout. It takes us to know that this is the thing that we do really well, and we're going to do it. And out of doing it, there are four options. And out of those options, if you take away two of them, we're going to continue to go through them, and we're going to scroll through them until we find the one. Because this is a thing that we do really good, and no one really can take it away. Whether that is – and I talked about this yesterday on the radio, like we watched Nemanja Bielica uh, have 13 assists. And, uh, I, you know, many times Nemanja does not touch the basketball. Unless I totally agree. Shoot, unless it's shooting. And mm -hmm. that, that can't happen. And that's not where you set up a play to do it. That is where the ball's hopping around and everyone kind of touches the ball. And that's when the Kings are playing their best basketball. Well, uh, you know, Nemanja catching it at the top of the key or at the elbow and guys slicing off of him, he's obviously showed that he can pass the basketball. But also he is a true offensive threat, especially from – 17 or 18 feet one dribble or 32 the basket feet at, yeah yeah or at 32 feet yeah so this is where learning how each other's superpowers work together um mm -hmm. you know darren comes off of a pick and roll with Nemanja, but i wouldn't do that i would pass it to him and i would cut off of him because mm -hmm. he can pass and because after i stop dribbling you can't put your hands on me and I'm so quick that you have no choice but to put your hands on me. So it puts, that's taken advantage. Now, is there still an advantage with him dribbling off? Oh yeah, there is. But the teams are, that is, that is schedule A for a team. That is plan A. We're going to try, we've already gone through this in the scouting report and we know we're going to take this away. So now you have to have a B and a C and a D plan. And that I think is when you talk about the King's ability to adjust and adjust on the fly that they don't take advantage of. Not to mention, you cannot show a team too much of anything. You've got to switch it up and switch around. That they are playing on the high side of Buddy Heald. You can't come off the pick. They're on the high side. So guess what? Back cut. Now he's got to chase you. The game has started. And too many times we, we don't see the Kings take advantage of their superpowers, which by them doing that, it helps the whole team. I, I agree. Absolutely. I mean, the fact that Nemanja Bielica can get you 13 assists and you never ran the ball through him the entire tournament until the yeah. final game. And you know what? Like the same with, with Harry Giles, Harry Giles can get you six, eight assists. I mean, if you ran the ball through Harry Giles for 30 minutes, he's going to get you, he can get you 10. Um, of course, guys have to hit their shots and, you know, you got to deal yeah. with the other, the other issues when it comes to, to Harry. And, you know, I, I think when we look so, at this team, so go ahead. When you, when you say that other issues and, and I've seen people, you know, say, oh, well, defensively. Well, oddly enough, the other night when they brought him in defensively, it was against, um, I can't think, um, Jalil Okafor. And the kid yeah. was scoring. 
Yeah. So when you bring crazy. when you when when Luke brought him in, guess what he did? He sent the double team immediately. Well, that also threw Jalil Okafor totally off of his game. So, listen, when we were playing, was everyone on our team a, a good defender? No. So we all took up for each other in certain ways. I, I didn't need help. I didn't want help. Bobby didn't necessarily want help. Peja might need a little help. Vladi might need a double team because he's freaking playing against Shaq. I, I mean, and those are the things that we, because we're on the floor, we figure out the coach can do so much, but the game plan is a plan, yeah. but it's the, the plan goes out the window when you get punched in the freaking face. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no. I, and I think that's what the Kings dealt with in this. They got, they got punched in the face early. Uh, and they, they did like a standing eight count over, over the first two games. And it, it was to me, um, it was disheartening because I thought they're a better team than San Antonio. I thought they're a better team than Orlando. You come away with those first two wins I don't think you lose in overtime to the Dallas Mavericks. They had, they had ample opportunity to win that game. And next thing you know, you're the team that's three and zero. you know, if you drop a game or two, that's fine. Um, but you're the team that's got momentum and who's moving forward. So, so I'm going to demonstrate how these things add up. So you beat a team in San Antonio that you're better than. That means that you show that you respect your opponent and you go out and you compete at a high level. Now you go play a team in Orlando that just played harder. That that's yep. that's what they did. They competed so they Brooklyn. at a harder Brooklyn level. just played harder. They, yeah. So if, if you take the San Antonio and you do the right things, and you take the Orlando and you do the right things, they equate to Dallas because Dallas is uh, they they got some really good talent, but as a team the Kings should be able to beat them and they have beat them, but you would have needed to do the first two parts of the puzzle to be ready to compete, put one quarter together and then have the mental strength and fortitude to string that out over a whole game. And since the first two didn't happen, you were hot and heavy in the first quarter and you demonstrated, this is what we can do. And we all know, well, not everybody, but most of us know that, that they are capable of doing that. The issue is, the first two things showed, and Luke addressed this, the mental strength that it takes to compete for 48 minutes. The Kings are deficient in that right now. They are. They are. Um, okay, so let's get to a couple of individual, uh, you know, highlights and lowlights. Mm -hmm. um, I, we can start with De'Aaron Fox. I mean, he misses the final two games, but I, to be honest with you, I think that was by design. The tournament was over. Um, he has a massive extension at the end of the summer. Um, I saw him grabbing his side, look like a rib uh, in the sixth game. Um, and then, of course, he doesn't play the final two games. I I'm fine with him not playing. Um, but my goodness, Doug, he just looks like he's he's figured it out. And I expect him to even be better when we see whenever the season starts, when we see him again. I expect him to be better and I expect him to be much better because all of a sudden, he understands uh, change of speed, change of direction as well as he ever has. He's darting and dodging, and people have no idea how to stay in front of him. They're they're packing the paint. He's still finding ways. He he didn't shoot the ball well from the perimeter. If he can shoot the ball at like 30, 30%, 32%, uh, he'd keep defenses a little more honest. He'd also average eight more points a game if he was mm -hmm. hitting anything. And then mm -hmm. the last ingredient, I think, is – we saw it as we went through the season that he got better and better at drawing, uh, at drawing free throws, at getting to the line. Um, we did not see that so well in, in the tournament. Uh, the Kings as a whole have a huge issue with that, um, but I thought he needs to get better there, um, just learning how to draw contact, play through contact. Um, really, I think more it's learning how to draw it, how to watching some Luca, watching some uh, James Harden, the little things that they do to get to the free throw line all the time. So what were your thoughts on De'Aaron? Cause I, I thought, I mean, it was yeah. like, Oh man, this is, yeah. this is what the you Kings know, hope they had. You know, it, it, it's easy for me to give all the superlatives. So, so I'm actually going to go on the critical side because I, I think that um, De'Aaron is such a special player. The, the, the positives, drastically outweigh the things that he needs. I won't even call them negatives. I'll just say the things that he needs to work on. And from my standpoint, there's two. 
obviously the shot. He, he's, he's got to improve that, and he's got to break it all the way down and then build it all the way back up. And there's a way to do that, and he's, he's already he's working on it. So I, I can see the improvement. But that is, that is a big one because it's going to open his game up to a level that I, I wow. I mean, yeah. he's pretty much unguardable because you can't stand in front of the kid. So th that's number one. Number two would be setting the tone for the team because he is so talented, Ham, that he does so many different things that his offense cannot dictate if he's having a good game or not because he could shoot three for 12 but lock up and set a tone defensively that – that's right now that's how Luca has them at 43 or whatever it is not that he sets a tone defensively he sets a tone for how they're going to play he sets everybody up all those different things De'Aaron's still figuring out how he gets everyone shots and timing and all those different things but defensively his ability, and this is something it's it's not always um, easy to do but I'm picking up full court and as soon as the ball is advanced to the wing, I got to get in somebody's butt because guess what? If I'm going to be out here picking up full court, make sure that that ball, not that it's not going to get advanced to the wing, but it doesn't mm -hmm. get there early. And th that's how you go out and you beat a team like Orlando. That's how he needs to be the guy that makes the adjustments uh, to DeMar DeRozan at the end of the game. Like he, and he is, he's, he's smart enough to do it. I mean, he probably already sees it, but now it's, it's verbalizing it and making sure that the teammates are doing it. So the, the shot in, in his ability to set the tone. And I listen, I know that's a lot of responsibility, but th this kid's incredible, man. I mean, wow. I would agree with you. Uh, I, I was just sitting there going, Oh boy, uh, here we go. <laughs> and I am here for it. Cause he is, he is a special, special player. Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. He was, um, he was about as good as I thought he could. I mean, look, he's a third-year guy. He's a 22-year-old. And a point guard usually takes them a little bit longer to get to where they're yeah. going to be. Now, like, John Morant has had a, a, a great rookie season. But at the same time, you watch him against De'Aaron Fox, it's not even close. I mean, De'Aaron mm -hmm. Fox is a better player than he is. But you can see where Ja can get to the next level and the next level and the next level. Mm -hmm. These are the two young guards in the league. Um, that I, I think yeah. are going to really, really step forward. You are listening to the Purple Talk podcast on NBC Sports California, brought to you by Wendy's. If you haven't already, please hop on, give us a rating and review. That would be greatly appreciated. Also, uh, a better tomorrow starts with Wendy's breakfast. At Wendy's, we don't ask what tomorrow holds, but rather, what will you hold tomorrow? Will it be the breakfast baconator, the honey butter chicken biscuit, no matter what you choose, tomorrow's looking good with Wendy's at participating U.S. Wendy's. Now, let's get to another word from our sponsors. The Mercedes-Benz Summer Event is happening now at Mercedes-Benz of Stockton. Take advantage of 0% financing up to 36 months and defer your first payment for 90 days. Mercedes-Benz of Stockton, just off I-5 at the 8 Mile Road exit or mbofstockton.com. All right, we're back. Doug Christie, James Ham, Purple Talk Podcast. Now, Doug, let's get to the the negatives. Uh, I mean, we we'll touch on Bogdanovich um, it, it, because he was an incredible positive in this in this whole tournament. But the one guy who literally said, "I want all we want all that smoke," uh, was Buddy Heald, and I I don't even know what to say. Um, I do know what to say. He didn't want all that smoke once he stepped on the court. And I don't think he was prepared. I don't know what exactly happened there. Um, but his default settings were off. That's what I thought that we saw a different player in Buddy Heald than what we had seen before. Um, not doing his catch and shoot, not giving the ball up, moving to a new spot. Finally saw it in the final game where he's in the corner. Someone closes out on the corner. He kicks it to the baseline, runs all the way around to the other elbow, and there he is for a wide-open three. That was the player he was before. That's the player he was last year. I know a lot of people are heaping all kinds of blame on Luke Walton for Buddy Heald's performance. I got to be honest with you. That was not a coaching issue. 
the only thing that Luke Walton could do in this situation was pull him off the floor because he could not, Buddy Heald could not get out of his own way uh, for many, many moments during this tournament. He came into the game multiple times, instantly made mistakes, instantly made mistakes. Even in the overtime session, um, was he against San Antonio? Did they get overtime in San Antonio? Okay, so they failed to close out the game. Uh, at, and then, no, 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 it was it overtime was, uh, was Dallas. Dallas, and it was, you know, Bogdanovich goes 0 for 14 to start the game. They start the, the fourth quarter with Buddy Heald on the court. I mean, the, the extra, uh, the overtime session with Buddy Heald on the court. And he hits a three-pointer. But then in the span of 30 seconds, he had just an egregious turnover. He missed a three-point shot, and then he fouled a three-point shooter. And look, you can take away the missed three-point shot, but you in, in an overtime session in the NBA, your team cannot afford two total mistakes. And he made two within 30 seconds and completely spun them out. And so those are the moments where you point to, and again, people are saying, oh, this is a Luke Walton thing. It's a Luke Walton thing. I got to stop you there. It was not a Luke Walton thing. Uh, in the game that they, their first win, uh, Buddy played 11 minutes, right? I think that's what it was. Um, and in that game, following that game, De'Aaron Fox very specifically said, uh, we listened to the game plan. We didn't hold on to the ball. We passed, we cut, we moved, we got out of each other's way. The offense flowed. There was no hero ball. And I don't know if Fox intentionally was taking the shot, but he certainly was calling. There's one player who's been doing that the entire time, and it, and it was Buddy. And again, this is not who Buddy is as a player. I'm not sure what, what was going on. I don't know if his offseason uh, workouts, he started getting into it and really thinking that this is who he's going to be. He's going to be a James Harden guy. Um, but that's just... Doug, to me, he looked like he came out trying as a Willie Mays Hayes, a second baseman who all of a sudden wants to hit home runs or a center fielder that all of a sudden wants to hit home runs who's hit three in his career. And all of a sudden he looks like a, a player who's popping every ball up. Mm -hmm. You know, so a lot of the things that I, I see with Buddy, I, the, the shot, no problem. Uh, yeah, it's incredible. Shots. I mean, he's yeah, one of the greatest shooters the league has ever seen. Ever, ever seen. Um, yep. It is understanding the minutia of basketball and understanding for, and I'll stay on the offensive end first before we talk about the defense, understanding how to get your shot off, understanding how to uh, help your, your teammates. Because more times than not, when a guy shoots that well, he has to sacrifice of himself many times to get other people going. And then when that happens, then he can cook as much as he humanly wants. Yeah. Uh, but wanting it so much, and that's what I look at when I see Buddy, he, he wants it so much that he will fight the defense as opposed to reading the defense. And yeah. the more that he reads the defense, and one play comes to mind, I can't remember what game it was, but he and Harry were on the weak side, and they were about to – were, there was going to be a pin down for Buddy, and Buddy was coming off. Anemone was in the corner. They played on the high side. I think it was Brooklyn. They played on the high side. And instead of back cutting and screening for Nemanja and allowing him to come off and get the shot, Buddy just fought and fought and fought and fought and fought, and then he went and got the ball, and they settled for a block shot. I think Garrett Temple blocked the shot. Those are, those are super little things. Problem being, I, th I think that that's all teachable and he can do it. Reason being is because we just saw him in the last game do all the different things that you said. For Buddy, you can't, you can't stand still, meaning you don't chase the basketball, but if your guy takes his eye off you, you got to cut. Once you pass the ball, you got to cut and screen somebody. And many times we don't see him doing that when he's struggling. When he's not struggling, he's doing it. I wouldn't, if I was playing defense on Buddy, I would want him to dribble the ball like James Hart because I'm, he doesn't pass the ball like James Hart. So I know yep. if I put him in a real difficult position, he's either going to force a shot, he may turn the ball over, or most likely he's going to miss it. So uh, the mindset has to be more Clay Thompson. 
I'm going to add one more thing. I'm going to add one more thing. The difference. He also doesn't have the ability to draw a foul. And so if you're playing defense on Buddy, your thought process never gets to a point where you're like, oh, man, is he, is he going to get yeah. me in foul trouble? Am I going to get the team in foul trouble? That never enters your mind because the dude does not shoot free throws at all. I think for the tournament, I, I think he might have shot five free throws. I know that there was yes. a three-game stretch where he had zero. Um, but and, and anyway, you, to your point. Yeah. No, no. When you have a, when you have a shot like Buddy has – you should always get to the free throw line many yep. times when he's struggling in the game ham i say that is how he's going to get out of the struggle by watching the ball go through the basket a couple of times well it, with the exception of james harden and the dribble 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 and explosion move that backs the defense up he fakes a shot the defense comes to him he draws the foul how buddy can remedy that is coming flying off a pick shooting it like jj reddick when the defense is coming little pump fake bump into him or if he is dribbling it's working on one dribble two dribble three dribble combinations that at the end of that you're going to shoot it the defense respects it that's when you draw the foul and too many times it's kind of dribble 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 just looking for my shot it has to be more thought out. It has to be more specific. And I've seen it, so we know that it can be done. Defensively, Buddy is hoppy on defense. And I see this from Marvin a little bit sometimes. I mean, you know, they're, they're kind of, you know, like defense is low and slow and cat-like. And you, are you in the right position? Because, like, I won't say 99%, but, like, 90% of defense – is being in the right position, meaning yeah. in, in, in relationship to the ball, where are you at? And I, he did it yesterday because he was on the weak side. He had only one foot in the paint instead of two, two feet in the paint. Two feet in the paint, you're too late to the pass. You're not going to get there. The shot's going up. He had one foot in the paint. He was low enough, had pistols pointing. He could see man and ball at the same time. They threw it over. He intercepted the ball and started going the other way. Problem being, you remember the play. Yeah. Problem being is too many of those mistakes happen, whereas a, a couple things. When, when Buddy got here, I didn't know he was as good of a hustler on defense as, as he was. And he made mm -hmm. a lot of plays that I was like, wow, well done, just based on the hustle. So if you have that gene and you are in the right place, that's all we can ask for you on defense if you're not a lockdown defender and just communicate and be a good team defender. So there are remedies to the things that I see with Buddy, but it takes and, – and I did hear some of his comments. He was on with G-Man and I, and he was spectacular. He was fantastic. And then he interviewed with the press, and there was a – you know, it, it did he not – He was not spectacular. It, yes, he yeah. was not. <laughs> and listen, I, I understand um, – I like the fact that Buddy's not happy about – coming off the bench that lets me know that he cares at a high level he's yeah. that that's good I relate it to a guy who wore the same number as buddy and that's Bobby Jackson and Bobby could have probably started for a lot of teams mm -hmm. he made our team special and I think that buddy in that position makes this team special not many not many with the exception of Lou Williams, no one has somebody that can come off the bench really and do the type of things that Buddy does. I, I maybe I could think of one or two more. But it used the to be point Jamal is, Crawford. Now it's yeah. 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 But no, but I'm saying on a team right now where yeah. like you go to the bench and okay. Matter of fact, in the game plan, we got a plan for the bench guy. That usually doesn't happen too much. So yeah. um I, I'm, I'm just hoping that, that he gets it because there's these are fixable things, Ham. These aren't things that are like you can't do anything about them. Learning how to draw a foul, similar to Lou Williams. Lou Williams goes to the line so much because as soon as he feels contact, he's up and into you. Uh, that, that's, an, that's an extra point. That helps get his, his jumper going. Learning to cut and use his superpower for his teammates is learning how to set a quality pick you're going to get the basketball if you set a quality back pick mm -hmm. on, for instance, when M Marvin comes back, you set a back pick on his guy, you can throw the ball 15 feet and the kid can go get it. So that yep. stretches, the, that stretches the defense so thin that you're going to step to a wide open look. You can be butt naked, knock it down. So um, 
it was disappointing. I thought Buddy was going to have a fantastic bubble. I don't also, and this is an excuse, I don't know how much COVID uh, came into that because I thought that yeah. we saw a little bit of that with Harrison Barnes where in the I beginning. I thought the first five games. Yeah. Right. He was, he was struggling. And all of a sudden Harrison found his way. Uh, so is there some of that with Buddy? I think there may be some of that as well. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I'll bring this up too. You mentioned earlier that, you know, the one thing that you do well. So when there is a 19 0 run um, to me, it, it's like the Zebo, the Zebo effect. Like uh-huh. the one thing that the Kings could do while they weren't a great team with Zebo is that you didn't go on 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 0 runs. It, it could get to 7, but then they would throw the ball to Zebo in the post, and Zebo would go get you a shot at 60% accuracy or 70% accuracy at the rim, and he would mm-hmm. go bully his way to the basket. And next thing you know, the run would stop, and, and you could sort of level the game back out. You could kind of catch your breath and say, okay, well, the Kings don't really have that player. They do. I think you can feature Harrison Barnes in that role. Um, but again, their default setting is not to do that is not to go to the post. Um, sometimes their default setting um, would be to take, you know, five consecutive three pointers, even though they can't hit a three pointer. Mm-hmm. And so really it gets frustrating because the collective basketball IQ of the team is like on full display. Like you don't get that the easiest way to stop a run is to go get a right. basket at the rim or to go get fouled and stop the run that way. Whatever you got to do, you got to stop the run. And that has to be like priority number one. I don't think that the Kings have that player except for Marvin Bagley. And mm-hmm. like, I think that like, look, he's not Luka, Luka Doncic. He there, I don't think there's any way he can, at this point, we look at Luca, and Luca does look like a generational talent. He does look like a a. I mean, he's a surefire two, two, two Hall things. of Famer. Two things, Sam. Before, two before go ahead. Because before because before you go into the Luca thing, yeah. um, So I, I just like to give the fans uh, perspective. So when you yeah. talk about um, understanding in, in a game. So, and, and I use our team because most of our fans watched our team. Uh, if, if Chris isn't rolling at a high level and no one's dominating in, in a way that's causing a double team, we would always run a play called four strong. And we would, we would go like this, four strong. Mike would bring the ball up to court. You got Paige on one elbow, me on the other elbow, and Vladi and Webb down on the block. Well, you throw the ball to me, Mike cuts off, there's a handoff opportunity. He goes to the corner. Peja gets a double back pick from Vlade and Webb. So every t- as soon as Webb sets a pick, he flashes to the ball. As soon as Vlade sets a pick, he flashes to the ball. So now we've had three options, plus I got the ball at the elbow, one dribble away from getting to the basket. Peja gets through. He can come back off. I can throw it to Mike. They can run a pick and roll. The point being is no one player is being so dominant. So what do we do? We went to something that got everyone involved, and we found the flaw in the defense. Yeah. And when you do things like that, so do we have a player that can get his shot anytime he wants? That's De'Aaron Fox. Yes, but no one else was helped because they didn't touch the ball and exploit what the defense is doing. I, I just wanted to point that out because sometimes when we talk, uh, it, it's X's and O's. And I know you understand, and I understand, but I also want our listeners to, to see how team basketball, and that's yeah. what the Kings are, that's what Vladi has ultimately been trying to build is where they depend on each other. And, and Luke trying to say, listen, guys, the movement of the, that's why it looks so beautiful when they're playing good basketball. It, that's what's happening. The ball's hopping around and got, but the problem is all of a sudden it just to a screeching halt. And when you pair that with allowing your defense to start your offense, that's ultimately what you're trying to do. Yeah. Okay. So here, here's how, okay. I, I was going to get into Marvin Bagley. Um, no, please course, do. Please do. He, he's not there. He, you know, so it, it's hard it, I don't want to pile on Marvin because here's the problem that I have. First well, I'm not of all, here for anybody piling on Marvin. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, I'm just, so, just going to say that. Exactly. So my, my first issue is that, first of all, Marvin didn't choose to go number two overall. He was confident and wanted to go number one overall, but he didn't choose to go number one overall. I mean, number two overall. Uh, secondly, look, everyone knew that Luca was going to be a very good NBA player. They did very few people – thought he would be 
like better than 99% of the NBA in, in their first, in his, in his second season. Did you think he was going to be? No, my, my biggest question with Luca was going to be, was he going to be able to do those things at the NBA level because the NBA is better than Europe? So for those those people, let, let's first of all, the head coach of Luka Doncic was uh, Igor Kokoshkov. He was yep. the head coach of the Phoenix Suns. Phoenix passed on Luka. If everyone who now is a Monday quarterback is saying, oh, my God, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. There were 29 other teams. They could have traded an all-star and somebody else and moved up in the draft and stole them at number three if that if that's what they wanted to do they did not know and is a kid incredible absolutely freaking lutely the kid yeah. is is awesome i think marvin bagley has an incredible upside for the kings fitting for the kings mm-hmm. could luca have yeah obviously i get it but no one else knew it so the, stop with that that that's 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 not true you would have seen trades you don't think danny ainge with all of those picks and different things that he has and players that would have traded if they knew that luka Doncic? right okay well they didn't know that was the whole point i i, I totally understand that the one thing i'm gonna point out that um okay so I think that when we watched Jeff Petrie draft for years and years, and when we watched Jeff Petrie go out in free agency, and when we watched Jeff Petrie uh, make trades, um, I think that we kind of got lulled into he's looking for great shooters, right? Because that's kind of what it looked like. It's like, okay, so he goes down and gets Hito Turkoglu in the draft because Hito is a knockdown 18 to 20-foot jump shooter. Uh, you can stretch his range. He's, he's just really – he can also pass the ball well. Um, you know, Peja, you, you just go down the list of players mm-hmm. that he went out and got. You go the players that he would bring in. And I think that maybe that what was missing is even a guy like yourself, like whether your career leading up to that was outstanding or not, you could see one thing, and that is that your basketball IQ was extremely high. You could see You're that with Vlade. You could see it with Chris. You could see Keep it with Peja. Yep. You could Keep see going. it with almost any player that you brought in. Now, right. on occasion, Jeff would bring in someone to fill a void that mm-hmm. did not have that, but it was something you were missing. So when he goes out and he gets a Keon Clark, he's getting Keon Clark specifically to block shots. When he goes and gets an Anthony Peeler, he's bringing in Anthony Peeler just to shoot the three ball, to stretch the floor. So there were times, but – Again, you had so many guys on your team. We can equate this to baseball again. You can have nine guys who can hit home runs on your, on your, in your lineup, and all of them can stock 30 jacks. But if you don't have a guy who can grind out a 9 or 10 or 11 pitch at bat, get settled down. Let the rest of the team see the pitches, see what's coming, read the pitcher, mm-hmm. If you don't wear the pitcher down, if you don't have those guys in your lineup, you're in trouble. You're, you mm-hmm. can't just wait for the home run every time. And I think what we've seen with the Kings, just from my point of view, is mm-hmm. that they have valued some of the wrong things at, in the draft. And that is athleticism, uh, you know, just pure, like, talent over anything else like uh when it comes to you know athleticism and and you know the potential to score 20 points like look if if you look at the houston rockets um they get by with a six foot five center because that six foot five center is so much smarter than almost anyone else on the court but Mm -hmm. they also have james harden who is so incredibly smart on the court that he kind of outweighs what russell westbrook does which is just raw i mean so look i think you can improve a player's basketball iq and you can get players there but what you can't do is you can't have eight basketball players on your team that you're trying to improve their basketball iq you get to a point and some of it is that you're bringing in you're always filled with young players right that's part of it where you have to bring guys along but i think that to me is when you looked at if we even go back now and we say hindsight is 2020, the Kings should have, they should have seen that Luca was going to be great. But the problem that you have is that you could see that Marvin Bagley had deficiencies specifically on the defensive end. 
did not play defense at all at at Duke. Um, and those are moments where you're like, okay, look, there's a difference between Luka Doncic not being a great defender and him not understanding how to be a great defender because he, like Bogdanovich, like you put them on an island, they're going to get beat every time. But they rarely put themselves on islands. And if you know that they have lateral quickness issues and someone's going to get around them, then you slide a guy over and have him cut baseline and help them. You give them help defense, right? But Yes. I but just don't think same. that the Kings collective this season, last season, five years ago, their collective basketball IQ was high enough to and – and I'm not saying they're stupid players. I'm saying that they're mm-hmm. still growing. A lot of them are still growing. And mm-hmm. then that's why when you bring in a Ken Baysmore, it's just like, wow, why do things look so different all of a sudden? Well, because Ken Baysmore is able to mask like three people's jobs because he's so long and because he's played and he knows what he's doing and he hustles. That's why. And so again, like while Nemanja Bialica might not be able to jump over a phone book and lateral quickness is an issue, he led this team in wind shares, mm-hmm. uh, even defensive wind shares. He's way mm-hmm. up high on this team because the dude's basketball IQ is through the roof. What he can do he does really well. What he can't do, he knows he can't do. And you have to, you have to cover up for that. So I think that that, like, and I'm not calling Marvin out for being a low basketball IQ player. What I'm saying is that he's going to get there, hopefully, if he can stay healthy. But he has mm-hmm. to be on the court to get those moments to, to learn, to get better, to start feeling it. That's something that he needs. Uh, where Luca comes in and Luca from you dropped him on the court he's the smartest player on the court by so far you're just like holy well cow. that's also that's also because he's been a pro for 10 years already yeah so the fact that he has been playing basketball making money and and there's a different sense of urgency to what you do when you're playing for euro league titles and different things like mm-hmm. that all of a sudden he, he's in a different spectrum when you talk about pj tucker and you talk about these players when pj tucker entered the league he was not that player he did not have that basketball no. iq it took to to him Europe. time absolutely it took him yeah. time to gain the perspective needed and that is why uh, player development and those things are at such a high premium. And I especially say that for teams like a Sacramento, because you're going to, you know, you may not get the, the a class free agent. So you got a money ball. Get, exactly. You got to bring the players and you have to make sure that all the things that we talk about, when you talk about Hito and you talk about Anthony Peeler and you talk about Keon Clark, uh, they all, when you put them with better players, they also played better because mm-hmm. they, they understood enough of basketball. The key ingredient to w- what Jeff was putting together as we talked about that, and, and I see similar in, in what Vlade is doing. Everybody could uh, could pump fake, put it on the deck one or two times, pass it, and shoot the basketball. Not, not And everyone had different levels of that, but the point is – everybody could do it and that is an that is an absolute must when you talk about player development and moving forward for the Sacramento Kings when I when I look at Marvin Bagley I I see him and I've said this he can do every single thing on the court he's going to jump higher than everyone else he runs just as fast as every or faster than everybody Uh, I've seen him uh, dunk the basketball I've seen him block shots with two hands with one hand I've seen him grab a rebound take it the full length of the court and finish the play now it's going to be first of all staying healthy and that is something you know you'd never want to you 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 can't say oh I'm gonna step on somebody's foot that just happened someone swiped your hand Shaq broke Bobby's hand and his fingers hanging down to his knee those things happen but so he's got to stay healthy but putting him in the the position so defensively he is a great track down defender like if there was a stat for track down defense Marvin would be at the top of of that on the defensive end of the floor. Incredible. You get by the kid, he is coming and he's he's beating it up. So what does he need to do? Learn how to keep your guy in front of you. Make sure that you are in the proper position. When I talked about Buddy being hoppy on defense, that's one thing that I see with Marvin is he, he relies on his athleticism instead of his positioning and things like that. And these are all these are all fundamentals. That's why I said Kings basketball, what is it? Define it. Fundamentally approach it in a way that 
you begin to be able to plug and play and you start bringing in people and you start having people that it doesn't matter who's on the floor. Yes, ultimately. But at the same time, if Chris goes down, you can plug in Hito and th that's the type of thing, but he goes down all of a sudden Kim Bazemore fills right in and they're seamlessly. Is it a difference? Yeah. Buddy is a way better shooter, but the point is, but Kim brings a few more things. So the, you know, the train doesn't stop. Yeah. Okay, so Doug, let's get to the final the final thing we're going to talk about here, and um, that is Luke Walton. Um, like, look, I we had Luke on the podcast I think last week, um, uh -huh. and, and I thought he was really good. Uh, he, he's honest. Um, he was stir crazy, which I found was funny. Um, yeah. I said, I, I said, Are we cool. He's like, man, I'm just I'm just happy to talk to someone else, to someone new. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's like. We've been locked in here without our family and right. everything else. Um, and, you know, people have said, well, he's not yelling and screaming. He's not demonstrative on the, on the bench. And then you have Kent Bazemore sit down and say, one of the reasons why I might want to come back here is because Luke's demeanor is right, that it, he's laid back and he's working with us. He's not screaming and berating. He's trying to figure things out. Um, you know, we see things like, uh, you know, let's just go to the San Antonio game the team falls apart in the last four minutes of the game. Uh, mm -hmm. In the last four minutes of the game, they missed four layups. I think Fox makes, missed two, Bielitsa missed one, or maybe Bielitsa Harrison missed Barnes. two, Harrison Barnes missed one, and De'Aaron Fox yep. missed one. So, yep. like, the game plans, um, you go up against New Orleans, the best fast-break team in the league. They hold the New Orleans Pelicans to two fast-break points, and they win because the game plan was to they stop that. It. So, yes. so it's hard because you want to, you want to like objectively say like, look, I don't know what happened to the pace of this team. Whatever happened to the pace is unacceptable. I don't want to see that again. Like I, I get it. This team had a, a trip to India, which completely disrupted their, their training camp. Uh, they got up to an 0 and 5 start. And when mm -hmm. that happened, I think his reaction was to slow it down and keep it simple uh, mm -hmm. De'Aaron Fox got hurt. Marvin Bagley got hurt. So there are these like things that, that jump in and, and cause all of the, they're contributing factors. But at the end of the day, uh, this team needs to run. That's who they are. That's how they're built. That's what they, they should be doing. Now, I think he's trying to put in some really, you know, some good foundational points. Uh, I don't think that they always worked. I think that there needs to be some adjustments um, but at the same time, you could see how in certain games, the, the team didn't respond. You could see how in certain games, the game plan won out. Um, and, and at the end of the day, I, I don't know how to judge him outside of to say like, that was year one. You probably mm -hmm. need to give him more than more than one year. And on top of that, you got to look at what Dave Yeager did in year one year two was atrocious year three uh, when he got young players up to speed. But again, he had three different teams. He had DeMarcus cousins to start, then he had nobody. And then all of a sudden he's got all these young kids that are starting to mature into their bodies. Right. Um, and, and I think with, you can't look at what Dave, at what uh, Luke Walton did as an extension of what Dave Yeager did, because they're two totally different coaches. They had to change terminology. They had all of these things, their game plan, everything is different. So I don't know how to judge him, uh, and I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not a trigger man on coaches. I think uh, coaches need some time to figure out their things. I've seen some bad coaches in Sacramento, um, but I've also seen some good coaches. And I think the one thing is at this point, I don't know what Luke is, um, but I certainly know that a one season of of audition that was broken in half by a global pandemic um, that we can't just roast him for a three and five effort in, in a bubble. And did Monty Williams get it done? Monty Williams got it done in the bubble. Mm -hmm. Before that, Monty Williams ran a trash system. Like their entire season was, was thrown away. They shouldn't even, even been invited to the bubble. They weren't a good team at all. So like, I understand, but, same time you you have to like you can't just keep making change after change after change that's the worst thing you can do as a as a franchise is to continuously 
reset and reset and reset. Yeah, Ham. Um, you know what? I, I I would judge Luke off of what I've seen and what I know. And uh, I hear him saying the right things. I hear him going about it the right way. When I watch uh, and, and see, I'm in practice and I watch the video and what's being pointed out and what's being addressed and how it's being addressed. That's all. It, it's all quality stuff. And I know people, some people don't want to hear that whatever. I would agree with you with the pandemic and uh, not having training camp and all, all those different things. Four then players testing to- positive with, for coronavirus. De'Aaron yeah. Fox rolling his ankle and missing a week of training camp. I mean, yep. again. So, so then you, 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 you point out at the end of the game missing four layups and different things, and there was the, the one where uh, you call a timeout or you don't call a timeout. Mm. We had Luke mm-hmm. on the radio after that, and I said, you know, uh, and he said, listen, if we can run and not call a timeout and catch a defense before it gets set and we got the ball in our best player's hands more times than not, that's, that's what you want to do. And I, 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 can, I can look at that either way. De'Aaron makes that shot. Luke's a genius. Oh, my yep. God, it was so smart not to call a timeout. He misses the shot. What the hell were you doing? Why didn't you call a timeout and get him set up? You probably would have ended up with the ball in the same position. Maybe he's not leaning, whatever. You got their worst defender in Luka Doncic on him in a one-on-one situation. That's ultimately what you asked for. So um, th- this, is, this is a process. Kings fans don't, don't want to hear that. When you change coaches, you change terminology and all the different things. Uh, I've had people call into the radio and talk about because I said what the Kings were doing before there was there wasn't sustainability in the way that they were playing and meaning that you know Luke's holding guys accountable if you screw up he's taking you out of the game that that is that throws games I don't care. off and and that's a yeah. novel idea I'm just saying like freaking a uh, that's what you're supposed to do if you're not hey come here let me talk now are you going back in yeah you're going back in but i need to address something because if i just keep letting that slide we'll put up a whole bunch of points but in the long run we're never going to get to where we're going so exactly i'm 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 totally feeling that the one thing that i want to hear and i've said this if your goal is the playoffs you're not going to make the playoffs we have to have a championship mentality If if championship is your goal you make the playoffs. So, uh, listen, I, I've, I've seen a lot of really good stuff from Luke Walton and his staff and watching it. Will there Might there be some tweaks and different stuff? Yeah, that is the nature of this business. It's a big boy business. Luke understands that. Blade, everyone understands that. But ultimately, if I, it would be a lot easier to judge if you had your, if you had Marvin Bagley for the whole season, when I say the whole season, listen, people, I'm not saying that you don't get hurt, you don't miss 10 games, but 70 games instead of 13 games is a total different ballpark. You don't yep. lose De'Aaron Fox for that amount of time. You don't, hell, you don't lose De'Aaron Fox and Bogdan Bogdanovich at the same time. And I will say this at the end of the season, when it stopped, I thought in that particular game, we were about to see what they just did to New Orleans Pelicans on Golden One Center on national television. And boy, oh boy, that things would have been in a big fervor. So th- there was a there was a steady climb. We started, it was bad. It, it, was, it was bad. <laughs> and uh, then it got I'm, worse in December. It, it got worse. It, it, it absolutely did. But the one thing that I see with this team, and this is where I'll take it back to De'Aaron Fox and just him being who he is and, and figuring it out. And I've said this many times, Kings will go as high as De'Aaron Fox is going to take him. Now, I'll add Marvin Bagley into that, but just Fox for a moment, is the ability to, to understand the moment and make sure that everyone is locked in and doing their job. It, it, that is it's coaching. Yeah, it's coaching. But it's also us on the floor making sure that, that everyone locks in. And this kid has the ability to do that in spades and in a huge way. And that is where those games that are kind of, yeah, can we get them? Can we win them? And at the end of the night, uh, it, it just doesn't go in the Kings' favor. It they got they got some things. Now they got to work on them. But I, I would rather see a whole layout as opposed to a whole bunch of pieces and just going back and trying to nitpick with every single thing because nobody's perfect. Let's understand that. 
Yeah, and and I'll also bring this up uh, before we we finish up with with this topic. Um, Dwayne Dedman didn't come ready to play. Uh, I think he was overwhelmed. He just had a baby. Uh, well, his significant other had just had a baby. Um, he just signed for like five times any money he'd ever made in his entire career. So all of a sudden, you know, the pressure was there of being a guy who made that much money. Um, whatever it was, he, he wasn't serviceable at all. And so I'll point out that Luke Walton wasn't afraid to put a $5 million free agent signing into his starting lineup and bench the guy that his front office had paid $13 million to a, a year. Um, Gotta Luke, do it. Wal- Luke Walton wasn't afraid to take the team's leading scorer from the previous year and put him on the bench and bring in a guy and, and trigger a 13 and seven finish. He, he, to me, didn't fear those things. He, when he saw something that was not working, he went away from it. And that's, that's what I like. You got to give him some credit because if he didn't do the Deadman swap, this team would never have recovered. If he didn't make the swap with Buddy Heald, if you remember that point, they lost to Detroit. They were in a tailspin, and this season mm-hmm. would have they wouldn't even have made the bubble. They wouldn't have been. I mean, this would have been a complete disaster. So while I think that there are some things that I have some concerns with, um, specifically the pace, the the way that this team you know runs up and down the floor, I also look at some of the things that he did do. I'm like, huh, okay, like uh, you know. Again, well, I, pace is also dictated by the inability to stop people because you can't run fast if you got to take the ball out of the basket. So <laughs> we'll, we'll, I'm just I'm just saying like that no, is very, that is very part true. of that is part of it as well. It's not yeah. like he's saying De'Aaron don't run, but De'Aaron can't run if everyone's standing on the other side of the court and waiting for him. So well, and he uh, also can't he, run if he's missing twenty something games with a bad ankle. You know, yeah, it, it just this, it is what it is. There, there's a there's a there's a bunch of stuff that you can look at, and I would say this. Uh, well, I. I heard Luke say it because we've had on the radio is like yeah there are parts that need to improve and we must improve and that is a must it's just it's part it's this is part of the business you're always tweaking you're always trying to improve and uh, like I said player development you can go on and on about making sure that these guys IQ raised uh, there are many aspects continuing to tinker with the roster and make sure that you got the absolute best some some long rangey wing players and uh, you know three and D type of guy all of that is it's a Mm -hmm. must to to go into the next season and we'll see yeah we'll see all right so Doug uh the last thing I want to finish up with uh it's not a topic um I just want to send all the love and well wishes to Paul and Cindy Westfall uh Paul in case people missed it um he was diagnosed with uh glioblastoma I think it is glioblastoma uh a brain brain tumor um, brain cancer. Um, it's not good. Um, and he is one of the true gentlemen of the game. Um, I had the pleasure of him being my first head coach when I broke into the league as a journalist and he absolutely meant the world to me as someone who was just starting in this business. He gave me time. Um, I have an incredible Bill Walton story where Bill Walton blew me up in the middle of a scrum and kicked me out of a scrum for just bizarre. And Paul got so upset uh, that he ended his conversation with, with Bill Walton and uh, Jim Gray, and then grabbed me by the arm and took me into his office and slung the door open and said, I'm so sorry. I cannot believe Bill Walton just did that to you. And he's like, what do you need from me? What, what questions do you have for me? Um, wow. We went to lunch during the summers, uh, especially the lockout season. Um, you know, could he connect with Demarcus Cousins? Nope, uh, but not many people could, and that's why he he ended up leaving the, as the coach of the Kings. But he's a great man. Uh, he meant a ton to me, and I wish him and his wife Cindy, who's amazing as well, uh, nothing but the best because this is this isn't fun. And uh, so, so thoughts and prayers out to the West Falls at, at this time. Um, oh, well, well said. Well said, Ham. Uh, all love and blessings to, to Paul and, and his wife, no doubt. Yeah. Okay. So uh, this was fun. We ran long, uh, which, you know, <laughs> it's good, but it's been a long time since Doug and I have got together on the pod. Uh, I've been on the radio with you more than I have yeah, uh, I know on it, right? the pod lately. So uh, we're going to keep doing this, folks. That's the plan. Um, well, hopefully we'll have a player next week. 
Uh, we're going to work on some stuff. Um, and, you know, we'll, we can bring in some of the usual suspects as well. So, Doug, thanks for joining me. Yes, sir. You got it, man. Go Kings. It's, it's great to see Doug Christie. Um, so that's going to do it for this edition of the Purple Talk podcast on NBC Sports California, uh, brought to you by Wendy's. We'll see you next week. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.